Warning, this episode of The Smoke Pit features topics that some may find extremely disturbing regarding violent crimes. Discretion is highly advised. We are joined by John Douglas, a legendary pioneer in criminal profiling and the inspiration behind the hit show Mindhunter. John has interviewed some of the most notorious serial killers of our time. Some of his cases include Charles Manson, John Wayne Gacy, David Son of Sam Berkowitz, and more. Welcome back for another episode of The Smoke Pit. I'm joined today by John Douglas, Juan, and Jamie. Mr. Douglas is our special guest, uh, FBI from 1970 to 1996, profound profiler for serial killers. Has 17 books out that are non-fictional. Got two books that are considered fictional. But the longevity you had within the FBI, you also were in the Air Force for uh, four years. Right. John, what brings you here to talk to us today? Well, you guys seem to be really interested in this, uh, <laughs> this subject matter, like so many people. And it just amazes me. I don't like to do a lot of marketing, but when you come out with books, the publishers after you. And, but for the sake of, you know, just like hustling myself, I'll get a call in the middle of the night and I'm watching a hockey game and, and they'll say, hey, there was just a, a school shooting, you know, and, you know, we want some comments on it. They say, I'm watching the Washington Capitals right now. I know, I know nothing. I know, I know nothing now, about yeah. this case. Yeah. Right? You're talking about. Let me, you you know, just, let me have dinner first. Yeah, we'll just, me, it. But it just surprises me when I go out, the, the numbers of people who show up at presentations I give or, you know, these crime conferences where you get the, a lot well, of... It's cr- intriguing. Let's look, let's look at this logically. Right. You've been in this business since, we'll say, 1970 until present. You've been on the biggest profiling cases that had to do with serial killers or sexual predators. Right. Say. And then people want to know, how do you, I mean, being a profile, that's what started the Mind Hunters because of your career. They started the Mind Hunters based off of your career. Right. What's the secret to profiling? Do you have to look at paper or would you rather sit in front of somebody like this and get a better case for what profiling is? Well, yeah, really. Or can you do it watching a hockey game? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, you can't, can't do that. But some, some cases are happening so quickly. It's like, you know, one after another, you have to provide on-site uh, consultation. But in other cases where we have, have some time, as long as they send me the materials that I, I need to do the analysis, the uh, medical examiner's report, the autopsy, um, victimology, which is a profile of the victim, so I know why this victim was this victim right. of this crime, you know, opportunistic, targeted, uh, or, or whatever. The police investigative reports, just the basics, not really specifics of suspects who they may be uh, looking at. So you get this material, but you can't do it with every kind of case. The more psychopathology is evidence at the crime scene, the more bizarre. And then when you start getting to multiple cases, it starts to make it, uh, you know, it make it easier. You start to see see patterns. A lot of people will think that all I've done is serial murder cases. That's, that's totally false. I've interviewed most of our country's assassins in the United States. I've done tons of interviews of serial rapists, and we've done rape profiles. I've done arson cases. I've done uh, bombing cases. I've done public corruption cases where I've gone after uh, judges that were on the on the take. Uh, in fact, even on the law enforcement side, we've had uh, you know cases you know like that as well. I've done fugitive assessments of uh, criminals wanted in this country. One of my, that's two books ago, I did a book on Joseph Paul Franklin. He was a racist serial killer, he killed 17, 18 people. The Bureau didn't know where he was in the United States. We've identified him. So for a young in my career, they say, hey, John, can you do this? Tell us 
where he is. You know, I said, well, I, I'll have to get his material. So I go up to headquarters. They provide me all the material, but I don't do it there. The air is too thin in FBI headquarters there. So anyway, I would go down to Quantico, back to Quantico, go, go up in the library and assess everything. And like with, with Franklin, I was able to pinpoint the, the, the area where he would, would be in the United States, the city he would be going to. In fact, when I did it with him, I, I went out to all the offices that, that Joseph Paul Franklin would be going to Mobile, Alabama. That's where he was a success as a, a bank robber early in his career. He, he also, he impregnated a 14-year-old girl, had a baby. And so now that he's in his future status, the, his uh, common turf, uh, comfort zone, will be going back to Mobile. So sure enough, he shows up at, in Mobile, giving blood. The agent in charge of the office, I mean, some of these guys have no clue what I was doing. And, and they said, what is the name, uh, savings and loan, or the bank he's going to be robbing next? What is the name? <laughs> because I told him, you know, he'd be going there. I said, what do you, I picked your city, man. I said, I can't oh. tell you the <laughs> name. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the name Yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> but the real hard, the difficult part is, and it kind of follows like the Mindhunter, the Netflix series. Although, surprisingly, I think I may have mentioned Jamie uh, yesterday, is that never contacted me. The actors, Holt McCallany came to Fredericksburg or lived, stayed with me a few days, but he was playing the other character, like my partner, and really sharp. And then Love so the Jonathan Groff uh, was uh, holding forward my character. I didn't meet him until after the fact. When you know, when Holt came down and said, John, he said, so I tell these guys, well, you know, you have so much information on these cases. I said, yeah, Holt. I said, look, I got out of the Bureau in 1995. I did this book, Mindhunter. I thought it was going to be a one-book wonder. So I'm just, I'm just going to... 19 books later. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just, but I'm just kind of going, I'm just going through the cases. I'm just skipping, skipping through the cases. I'm not going deep dive. So, and it's a great show. But they had, for example, Richard Speck and the interview with Richard Speck that they did on television. I mean, the interview that I did with Richard Speck was unbelievable to go into into the prison these prisons you know all very intimidating i did a couple of interviews there but i wanted to interview specs so you want me to tell you the facts yeah, of this thing yeah it's interesting and so i met with the, the counselor uh they were going to separate uh you know spec from the from the rest of the group they had him in a cage so then i go into this four-tier cell broken glass and birds flying around in this you know in this uh, prison birds. you can't walk too close to the to the uh, to the side of the, the, they'll throw shit on you, uh, you know they'll and cups of urine yeah. on you, and it's just just always noisy chanting. So the counselor wanted to take mm -hmm. me to see his pornography, just to see the pornography that he has in, in his jail jail cell. But as he's walking me there, he's starting to go crazy. It's, he's waiting. He's in this cage where I got to go in that cage in a few minutes. <laughs> so he's U M F or yeah, you know uh, FBI. Yeah, he's just going nuts. He's he's going crazy. I said, counselor, uh, hey, look, let's just walk past the cell because I got to go back in there. Let's just kind of you know walk past. I said, okay, I just want to show you one thing before we go see Richard Speck. You said, remember the research we did? Uh, they did in the 80s with pink paint. They get a violent offender and, and they put a violent offender in a room painted pink and it could be a weightlifter. Now you lift outside that room, you lift in 200 pounds, you get in the room with the pink paint, 
100 pounds feels tough. They had, had that effect, just the, the so color of paint. Subdued. He says, I, I look in there, it, this guy was in isolation. I said, yeah, but a lot of paint is off the wall. And he said, yeah, they're eating it. They're eating it. And he said, it only works. You only can keep them in that room for about an hour. Uh, so, so, but then after that, it has no, no, no effect on them. So anyway, so that's, it was interesting. So then I go back. Study detail, right, in the study. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> one, yeah. one hour time. Yeah. 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 Reverse, yeah. reverse effect. Yeah. Yeah. I go back now in the cage and it's just it is it's like a, a wired cage and like i said it's very intimidating and, you know place and the noise and he's mf in me the whole time and i'm young, just a young guy man. how just, far away are you from him well i'm initially close but now he's getting away from me and i'm going to get away from him because now i'm going to sit at a table like this with his counselor here and he's sitting back on a credenza like so many of them, like manson did with me they want to dominate you sure and he has to dominate through his little physical size now spec was good i mean spec is about was about my height so just off the top of my head i'm thinking i'm talking to his counselor and i said frank he says yeah he says i don't know about this guy with uh spec you know, what he eats for breakfast regarding sex, how he, what he did to those women, mm. seven of these, uh, of these nurses. And I said, I don't know what he eats for breakfast. And all of a sudden, and the council picked up uh, with me and she said, yeah, right. You know, I never, you know, what the hell is he eating? This guy, it's, it's amazing. All of a sudden, and he, he specs chimes in. He says, I didn't F those women. I didn't F. And, and I said, no, I said, you just did the one on the couch. Right? Yeah. I know. And so so then he turns and he says, you ought to be in here with me. Like, I'm crazy. I'm just, I'm sure. crazy. Simple. So you're not shocked by it, you know, you know, you just kind of, sometimes you'll, you'll kind of go along with the laughing. I'm on a mission and the mission is to gather your information. So I'll let the a-hole, if he wants to sit on top of a, a chair, if they want to, you know, right. whatever, I'm just trying to get information. Open and generally, up. if I do it well, they don't want me to leave because I, I get into this mode where I'll start, uh, Particularly some cases I may not know his depth, but I'm doing these interviews. I'll start telling them about themselves. As long as you describe to me the crime, the crime scene, I'll interpret that. And I'll let you see if this was going on in your life the day that you went out and started, uh, you know, killing here, that this was a factor in your life. And usually what happens is, you know, that they're really surprised. And it's nothing like uh, the great Carmack on Johnny Carson years ago and anything, right. anything like that. It's just when you start to see patterns of behavior, then it's certain things are predictable. When I started this and came back, I was in Detroit working, uh, and it was a big, a big factor for me. If you don't mind me, keep talking. I'll talk. No, 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 it's, 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 it's all good. We'll have a drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys sit back and relax. I'll, no. I'll tell you. Well, we want to get more engaged, and, and just, we want you to talk to us. Because the questions here is the thing. The questions out there are today's they have analytics. So everything you did back in the, you know the early days and put that into a computer system. You couldn't. No. Everything was paper and pen. Yeah. And that's how you got the analytics. Nowadays, you put it on the thing. So say it's tomorrow, someone starts a serial kill. They can get into the system, and based off his patterns now, they can use the analytics. But back then, it's not. You had this. Yeah. This is all you had. Yeah. But no, it's different, though. It's not. It's still different. It's because I, I've been to doctors recently because I had some problems. And you go to the doctor, particularly the newer doctors, and, and you, there's something wrong with you. You have a pain in your chest. They start asking you questions. Well, you're giving them the answers. They're typing stuff up mm -hmm. and, and they're typing information. And what they're doing 
is exactly what I developed in the, in the uh, I was in like 91, a crime classification manual, how to determine uh, the, the motivation, how to, how to determine the classification of crime. Is this a contract murder? Is this a personal cause murder? Sexual homicide? Is it a group cause murder? And so they're putting this information in, relying, as long as my information is good to them, they'll, they'll be able to give me a good diagnosis. If I'm lying to them about certain things in my health, it, they'll, you know, they'll be off. So you go along that uh, you know, con continuum. But at, at the end, the doctor still has to be the one to make the decision. Yeah. He still has to be the one to, to, to decide, you know, yeah, what is, you got an ulcer or you just got, you know, whatever. I don't know what they're doing today. I, you know, at, at Quantico, it could be to a certain extent using artificial intelligence, but somebody at the end has to still make the decision. And that, that's the thing. And then some people, I know even when I was providing training, and bringing people in, they can't make a decision. They're afraid to make a decision. They're afraid to, uh, to be wrong. Because I love these guys. And, and I brought men and women in, and they, they did. They could be well as a, as a an agent. They could be well as a an officer or a Marine Corps. But then you put them in another job. They're not good for this particular job. So they would come in, you know, to the unit, and I'd sit around consultation. Usually, what we have we may have as many as ten or so sit sitting around like newbies. And then more, a little more of the senior, the senior. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they should just be observing and keeping their mouth shut. Some once in a while they'll say something stupid. But I wait to see which of the ones that are providing information, giving information all along, are thinking, are creative, creative. And then, and which of the ones that jump on at the end to agree, you know, to agree with this. That was a great, but they had, you know, virtually. The followers, not yeah, that's right. They just, they yeah, they just, yeah, they just, yeah. they just follow. Yeah. So, they'll, so they'll never be wrong. I'll agree with you, John. Whatever you say. <laughs> can, we get, can we get a soup in here or something? But the, you know, the big nut, a lot of them has it done is, you know, you go, you go before a task force in the land of child killings. They hated my guts, man. The, the land. I was censured, if you know my background, I was censured by the FBI. Then hmm. they turned around and gave me a letter of accommodation. A, a government for you. Yeah, $200. I gave it to the uh, Navy Relief Fund at, uh, at Quantico, the yeah. families. It, it was done so so cheap. It was $200 minus tax, right? 20% tax. So I, I got this. And I was gone. Probably, I was gone months. I was probably like a nickel an hour when I, I, was, I was gone. And it showed up in my mailbox. It wasn't even... Right. Hey man, you're the boring. Yeah, yeah. John, you know, this is your citation. Yeah. By the way, the check is taxed for taking out. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're good, right? Yeah. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of started everything. Well, it's so yeah, yeah. It just. I mean, they must have thought you were crazy at the time. With no. Oh well, well yeah. See, that's a, you have the same thing in the military. You know, it's better. Oh, yeah. Better to ask. Uh, forgiveness for permission. Yeah. All yeah. of that. So you just do it. Yeah. You just do it. They're not all happy. Even when you have these successes, you won't find everyone, you know, behind you, <laughs> patting you. No, you may feel like Your a, a little blood. Well, he's, you, yeah, the boss, the bosses, the bosses and I got to keep stroking those bosses mm -hmm. because they'll come down. I reach a point where they come down and want to talk to me about these cases. And I say, please, will you please do me a favor? Will you please go upstairs and talk to the assistant director? Right. You don't even have to have film in your camera. Just make believe. You can always say it was edited out, but please go up there. And so they, they would do that. So we know we've done that. We've, we've done that before. You know, so, 
But getting back to you, Atlanta. That's pretty nice of you, though. Getting back to the Atlanta case here. I'm with, kicking your ass down. Yeah, let me get it around here. I got it now. Sorry, folks. We're having technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wires. John is. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Us old guys having trouble with our feet down here. Yeah. I don't know whether it's the crevice yeah. or something, but it's all good. But, but the uh, Atlanta case, because yeah, traditionally the cases were were pretty much uh, um, yeah uh, white. It was a white male serial killers, but we had sprinklings of them, or the Columbus stranglings, things like that. We you know we had had some, but go down to predominantly black community, the black commissioner of police, the black police uh, um, chief. Uh, the mayor, everyone's black. The agent in charge of the FBI offices are black, first black, uh, John Glover, a great guy. He was there. And now here I come, I come down there and go through all the cases and look at, you know, at, you know, at the material. And uh, you know, this is an interracial crime. This is interracial. If this is a Ku Klux Klan, if this is some kind of racist type of crime, generally there's a lot of symbolism with it. They'll hang a guy on Main Street, you know, not because I'm going to have us finding skeletonized remains like some of the ones we're finding, you know, you know, right now. And so they there's a message in it. They're doing it for a reason. Yeah, there's yeah, there's some yeah, there's some there's some symbolism. There's signature. Yeah. yeah, something. Yeah, you know, there. So, God, I mean. So the bureau, you know, you get this high ass pucker factor when you then when you do this, you, you do the, and then they bring in People magazine. I didn't ask for this. They come to my office <laughs> and, and they and they approved it. They come to my office and what do you think? Of, this is before he was still an unsub, unknown subject. And I go through this whole spiel about him, his race, age, kind of car, kind of criminal history. He would have marital status, the whole shebang, and. and are you sure? You know, now they, now they, are you sure? You know, who approved this interview? You approved this interview. I just, <laughs> I just did, I did this in, interview here, and so I got that. And then now, there's so many cases. So now uh, I'm down at the scene doing, uh, uh, doing the onset. I remember going to one of the crime scenes. This kid was killed in a school. A cop comes up to me and he said, "You're Douglas, huh? Yeah, yeah, I'm Douglas." He said, "He says I saw your profile. Oh yeah." Yes, it's a bunch of shit. And I said, and I said, they're profiling. I you said, now. well, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I said, really? I said, f you, man. I said, I didn't ask to be here. I, I just want to be back, back to back to Quantico. I got I got tons of cases back here. This is not yeah. the only you know case that I that I have. You had all of uh, you know that uh, you know going on. And then the other thing I said, kind of controversial, that the cases weren't all uh, linked together by one offender. There were different. There were different cases there. You know, that should not be on the list. But Tennessee, sometimes with these departments, you get somebody, psh, you clear the books. Easy, yeah. you, you, you got, I guess you got all these clearances now. So, so the, the, uh, the clear of the book there. So anyway, came up with different ideas. The medical exam was shooting his mouth off about, about uh, crime scene evidence being found. And so then I, 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 I felt the bodies would end up in water. So they... Uh, they started uh, staking out the Chattahoochee River, and about the third day, they hear a plop in the water, go up on a bridge, and there's Williams. And then really, they really screwed up, including the bureau. They they should have had had enough to bring his butt back to the office, and he let they let him go, even though looking in the car, they saw ligatures and th you know things like that. And then the rest was this uh, surveillance of him, for, you know, for days and days, and then they finally will will bring him up to uh, you know to the office, so he'd be charged. But, but now a lot of the stress of it, I go down now to consultation. 
you know, now it's, you know, it's 1981, right? And uh, I've only been doing this since 1977, uh, you know, since I've been back in Quantico. And see so right now coaching for the prosecution, <laughs> coaching uh, the, the prosecution for ideas, and I'm observing, predicting certain things that may, you know, may happen here, and uh, the prosecution was losing. And we're back in a room, kind of a room like this, and at the end of the day, you know, all the big shit, shit's involved in the investigation. I talk, I talk, oh, did you hear him? That expert on hair and fiber evidence, he was totally wrong. He, he was twist, he said the twist was to the right, it should have been to the left, you know. You know, and they were, ha, ha, ha. Hey, what do you think, John? I said, you're losing the case, man. You're losing the case. I said, what do you, I said, this guy for the defense looks like John F. Kennedy. He's got big sparkling white teeth. He may not know shit from Shinola, but they, they're eating it all up. And, and they're nodding like crazy. Our guys, and, and the guys are in the room I'm talking to, our guys, you are so technical. I have no idea what, what you're even saying. I can't, <laughs> I can't even follow, wow. you know, you know what you're saying. Can't either. Yeah. Means, you know, so, no, so anyway, so you go back in the court and they're ready to get rid of me. Uh, they, I go back in the courtroom and uh, I, I see how thing, uh, things are going during the trial. And I reach over and I, I tap the, one of the attorneys on the on the back. What's what's up? His name is Gordon Miller. Like, what's up, John? I said, one week from today, Williams is going to be at, getting sick in the courtroom. He said, what? I said, one week from today, <laughs> he's going to get sick. Uh, start, he's starting at an edge here now, and it's going to be a sympathy ploy that he's going to use. But so, but meanwhile, I got a, a, a plane w waiting for me because they're basically kicking me out for what I said. Yeah, they, <laughs> The day before, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I get back to Klein and go, and holy mackerel, Wayne Williams gets sick in the courtroom. He gets sick in the courtroom. Take him away to the hospital. He's feigning that that, that crap, you know. He's feigning it. Douglas, get Doug, Douglas got to get back. He's got to get back. You know. So now I'm like E.F. Hutton, you know. Now now maybe a few of them are listening. So now. He's, and then the defense wants to meet with me, and and uh, they had a great defense team. They ended up really liking me, the defense defense guys. <laughs> but now he's going to take the stand. I coached another attorney, Jack Malik, had to take him on because when Al Binder, I think named Jaws, uh, Wayne Williams's attorney, one of two, the other guy was Kitchens. He, he got Williams's hands. He was on the stand. He said, "Look at these hands." Do these hands look like the hands of a serial killer? Look at these. And he's showing the jurors. Look at the hands mm. of, of, of this. Uh, they were soft hands. Yeah, so, and he looks, up, he looks like the Pillsbury Doughboy. I mean, it's just, you know, you know, but people have this, you know, like everyone's going to be, you know, you know some gargantuan you know, killer. And so I, I talked to Jack and I said, Jack, what do you, uh, he's asking, what do you think? I says, well, you can get, now touch his hands. You can, you can go up there. But when you go up to the, the stand and when you hold his hands, <laughs> I want you to say in a low voice, low enough where the jurors can, can uh, no, not a lawyer, just uh, the jurors can hear you, but not, hopefully maybe not even defense attorneys, and say, what was it like, Wayne? What was it like when you wrapped your, your fingers around Terry Pugh's throat? Did you panic, Wayne? Did you panic? No. He, and that's how his response, no. And then he catches himself and he says, I know you got that goddamn FBI profiler <laughs> in the court and you're trying to get me to fit that profile. I'm not fitting your profile over there. And, and then everyone, the jurors are looking and say, holy, yeah, 
mackerel. Oh, he's that's yeah. good. he's he's not. But Came the, out back the yeah. So, <laughs> so the big thing is, he still is just. Uh, they cleared just way too many cases on him. I mean, he's he's done it. I mean, he's got stuff in his background uh, that I was I was aware of. But that one. But here you get a case like that. Uh, we're looking like crazy for different kinds of people. And I'm doing different proactive techniques, and the bureau has to analyze it. And that's time has passed. I can't even get it done because you've been analysis paralysis. You, I, we got nothing. You know, you have nothing done here. So anyway, and I was at this scene. In one of the scenes, there there were uh, two skeletonized remains found at the scene, and then and like a triangle at the point was a pornographic magazine. So two. Skeletonized bodies, pornographic magazine, you know, down here. So what do you think? The guy's here, you know, he's masturbating, he's fantasizing, reliving, you know, reliving these, you know, these, these crimes here. They do a background, they, how they do it, they get the magazine, and then through latent fingerprints, and this is not the automated fingerprint system. Mm. This is one fingerprint card at a time. There's like 90-something million of them. They come, with, they come up with a name. Wow. They come up with a name from those prints on that pornographic magazine. And guess what? He's driving one of these Terminator, bug Terminator uh, trucks. Yeah. Oh, look at the, the symbolism. <laughs> the kid, he's, you know, he's got a Terminator truck yeah. and he all knocks his like, fumes. <laughs> so they drag, his, they, they drag him in for the interview. And, when they, uh, and they bring him in and they said, hey, you look, you know, we found this, uh, you know, this magazine here. We, we identified it to you. I think he's the killer. This guy, and he's white though. He's he's the killer, and, and um, he starts him and hauling. He says, "Come on, you know, tell us what happened here." And he says, "Well, he says my wife's pregnant. My wife's pregnant, and, and uh, I get this magazine, and I go off to the spot here, and, and I, I masturbated. I masturbated here. And, and the thing that's really it was hilarious. President Reagan at the time was all set to make a press release. This was big news. We have broken the Atlanta child killing that we caught this guy. <laughs> we identified him in the woods here. And, you know, when we told him how we got him." And, and, and he says, well, yeah, I would sit in the truck and I threw the magazine out the window. I said, no, you had to be, uh, you know, like Joe Namath or Joe Montana to get to where the, the magazine was. Then he admitted he went out there. And, but little did he know, this, this joker know, that when he was doing that, he was, he was right in a triangle, like the, the Bermuda Triangle of, of, the, of two skeletonized bodies. And you see, to get this stuff in, in investigations, these red herrings that get you excited, but it goes nowhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the triangle killer. Right? That is out of control. That's yeah. wild. All right, my biggest question is, so I said, listen, yeah, so I'm doing some profiles. Yeah, good. I'm not good at this. Sure. I saw it once on TV, but have you found that everybody you interviewed in profiling, that every single one of them has some type of sexual piece background-wise that had a, a fetish, per se, for all your serial killers to include your sexual assault? Yeah. There's always something something played within yeah. the sexual realm. Well, if that makes sense. First of all, almost without exception, of the ones who I've interviewed, yeah, they, had, they had uh, dysfunctional backgrounds. Right. It, was, it was an abuse, abuse of some type. There was neglect of, of some type. I mean, some will say, well, yeah, but no, Ted Bundy, you know, he didn't have that. No, you're wrong. You don't know how Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy's sister uh, got pregnant, and he sent her off to one of the New England states in those days. It, it was in the 40s. You hide all, yeah. all this stuff. And so what, what the parents did, she ended up keeping the, the child but what they did was the parents made believe they were the mother and father, the, grand, the grandparents right. made believe they were the mother and father. Mm. And the so-called 
his mother now was was now the sister. So he was raised, he thought was uh, her sister was really his mother. So he finds that out. So you, you have, see so what you're looking for are precipitating stressors and events. And it doesn't happen to everyone. Everyone, everyone can have similar types of you know, situations and react you know, differently to it. But early on, you start to see other indications of violence. We referred to at one time, homicidal triangle, which included uh, uh, bedwetting, into well into the teens, uh, fire setting, which is again power control. David Berkowitz himself set 2,500 fires in, the, in New York City, and then the big one, because uh, I, I go up to Canada sometimes. So they're SPCA, they investigate animal cruelty, and, and uh, animal cruelty is a big one. Right. When you get the animal yeah. cruelty, when you get to the animal cruelty stuff, that is, uh, you know, that, and if you don't intercept. It starts early because teachers will tell you too. They start seeing it. If you don't intercept it soon enough, it's just going to progress. You're half a step away from killing people. Yeah, I mean, that, that's it. Do you think it's inherent you... in anyone, in everyone, every human, and just some can control it better than others or not? Well, yeah. Well, some. Well, yeah. I mean, two people can be abused, but you may be in a situation right. where a teacher may help you out, your family member may help you out, a neighbor may, help, or just your. Yes, you personally, sure. your personal constitution, your strength, that you're able to survive this. And, and but not every everyone can do that, and so sure. they, you know, they'll react, react to our, yeah, you yeah. Get support. Right. I, mean, I mean, personally, like for us, just so everyone knows, is Juan. We served in the Marine Corps together. Uh, we were he was a fifth force, and I was a third SOTG back in the nineties. We're showing our age now. That's right. So, yeah, there we all are. It's, it's just kind of weird for Juan because uh, he was a young guy in the Marine Corps, you know, and going through packages and. You know, I ended up getting out as a captain. He quit. I wanted to get out after 12 years. Became an officer. Came yeah. out. Oh, yeah. did you? Yeah, he was, he was like, a dark side. Now, what do you do now, Juan? I, mean, um, I forgot that. I'm in uh, body armor sales. I work for a large body armor manufacturer, and I'm sales. Sales. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So I saw, that's why Juan's here. We just... We figure, you know, we got you coming in. He he knows you and what's asking. Thinks questions. he knows me, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Knows, oh, knows, yeah. Have you been profiled? Yeah. Have you been profiled? Have you been profiled? Has anybody sat down? Oh, yeah. You, no, I, I, I have my own issues and, and problems, and uh, just like every every everyone else. And, as long as it's not bedwetting animal abuse. Yeah, no, yeah. But, but, bedwetting. But there's got to be a fine line between, I mean, I like to burn yeah. things and see fire oh, yeah, and, I, and the energy that that captures, but. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I burn ants with a magnifying sure. glass. Right. Is a, you know, that was right. when I was a kid. But that's not, you know, stuff, you know, you know, stuff like that. We're talking about the, the psychopathic, uh, you know, personality, narcissistic. Yeah. Uh, you know, shows no remorse, no concern. That's why they, when you do these interviews, they can't. You, you really, they can't identify with the crime that that they did. Yeah. Uh, I was involved, like for example, O.J. Simpson case hmm. in the, the civil case against us, okay. but not the criminal. Yeah. I wish I was. Uh, because they really screwed that up. <laughs> you think, you know, I mean, uh, I need a judgment, and I just watch the whole thing. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, glove fit. Dude. Yeah. Oh, totally oh yeah. You see a surprise yeah. look. He's yeah. like, oh, my yeah. Gee, <laughs> you put it in the washer, it's going to shed yeah. a little bit. Yeah. That's what the shed is. Eat salt that day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they interrupted the Knicks, the, the Knicks finals game to watch him run away. Oh my! Oh yeah. Knicks, that was crazy. Uh, Knicks Rockets. Mm -hmm. that, was, yeah. that was that was. A, I, th I think for the United States, you know, what I've seen over my career, both in, you know in the military and now, you know, being retired. As you see a lot of these, and I'm going to say it, I mean, you say it a couple times, sir, they're not yeah. psychopaths, they are. Yeah. A bunch of weirdos out there, I think, looking for a claim or someone to give them a hug. I think yeah. if these guys younger had hugs and yeah. someone loved yeah. them, they might not be who they oh, are. Oh, sure. Uh, support and, network. Maybe. Yeah, so yeah, support. So I think, too, at the end of the day, when they find these guys guilty, now I'm going to ask this mm. question to you. Now it's just Stu, yeah. retired Marine, asking this question. Yeah. Right? 
when you get done with, with this and they're convicted, would you rather see them get one chance to appeal or no chance to appeal? And we take them out back to the courthouse, put them yeah. against the wall, and we... Can we say well, shoot them on, on the line? Sand. Huh? Yeah. On the line. Yeah. We, <laughs> well, we do the execution ourselves at no yeah. cost to the taxpayers. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Stu will do it for free. Yeah. I'll bring the gun. I'll yeah. bring the ammo. It, dep free. it depends. It depends on the ca the cases. I mean, some cases just yeah, you, outright the guy did. Yeah, so much evidence, you know, yeah. on, on the guy. The but yeah. then, then you know, you're probably not aware of this uh, since I, when I got out of the bureau. I could work on cases from defense attorneys when I, I was in, or but I, I, I did. A lot of it was pro bono stuff, if I really believe this person innocent. So if you heard of uh, the, the West Memphis Three, uh, West Memphis Three in West Memphis, Arkansas, with it, where three in the early 90s, three uh, eight-year-old boys were killed by, allegedly, convicted, killed, mm. killed by a 17, 18, and 19-year-old boy, boys, teenagers. And through blunt force trauma, you know, and drowning. And this was in West Memphis, Arkansas. Now, if you've ever been to uh, Memphis, it's pretty, it's not bad there. A little crime right now is ridiculous. But then you go over to West Memphis, Arkansas, over the bridge, it's like a third world country. And the police over yeah, there at the, at the time was very, 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 very uh, corrupt. And then in our country at that time, this was in the 90s. Remember, everything was a satanic. There were satanic yeah. Oh, yeah. crimes yeah. and all these. You had kids' pictures on on, uh, on, on milk, milk cartons. They yeah. should have had who they should have had on the cartons were the parents of these kids because a lot of it was parental abductions. Because every year in the country, we only have about a right. there are about a hundred. It's about a hundred uh, totally stranger type of abductions. It's a lot, but not. 50,000, like Geraldo Rivera was shooting right. off his mouth, right. and Oprah Winfrey was shooting off her, her mouth, and then they had these schools around the country uh, that were being put on by some police, and they really have the credentials uh, you know, in the background, uh, talking about Satanism, and so anytime you saw a pentagram, we got the satanic group here in town, so they wrote this thing off as a uh, satanic murder, and then I, I knew a little bit about the case when I was in the Bureau, but not really of time study but so i'm home and i get a call one day and it's from this woman who says she's married married to damien eccles damien eccles is on death row and, and just right here damien what the hell is it and then someone who's married I, yeah i get so many fruit and fruit loop women that marry these guys <laughs> yeah in in prison yeah. and uh you know because it's different they'll they'll the look that gives them some kind of uh you know recognition a little bit of power Status. yes yeah. god forbid the guy ever got out that'd be yeah, peeing in their way. pants. I mean, these guys are violent, you know, you know, violent, uh, you know, you know, people, you know, here. And so, where was I going with this guy? Where was I going with him? We're talking about. Uh, oh, you're talking about how he was getting. Now you got me confused. Did, oh, did oh you, no, yeah. Did you ever, uh, oh no, uh, get the young guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I get a call one day, and, and from that wife, I was from, from the wife. But then she said, "There's people in Hollywood have read your books and all that. They're interested. They." They're, they can't, we can't tell you who they are, but they'd like you to help in this case. We're bringing in a forensic, forensic team. And that it turns out I had to sign this paper in case I find out they're guilty. I think they're guilty. I got to keep my mouth shut. Mm. And so that person is Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, uh, and from New Zealand, you know, all the movies he's, yeah, yeah. he's made and, uh, you know, The Hobbit, you know, King Kong, you know, he's real, really great. So they brought me and this, this uh, team in and I did my analysis. And my analysis took the investigation to a stepfather that was never interviewed at all. It was this one stepfather. And they ended up finding his mitochondrial DNA, his hair, 
at, at the scene that the police have sat on for years on a tree stump, on a tree stump, and and, and then his hair under the ligatures wow. of a shoelace, but not his son's shoelace, another boy's sho uh, shoelaces, because because they uh, they were bound, they were bound with these these shoelaces, and so I did this this whole thing, and then so they ended up we had so and we had top forensic pathologists and uh they were blaming it on they, they blaming some of the wounds on a serrated knife uh, on the child's faces we did a test and we brought in you know people with alligator snapping turtles because in this pond where these kids were found were alligator snapping turtles and so i i'm involved in a, a show called it was at the time it was west of memphis with peter jackson and our, our side of the story and what we did is we put a tank full of uh not full like two uh, two alligator snapping turtles uh, you know in there and then just to show them and then we took them out and this guy let him bite, let him bite his arm, <laughs> and, and let him bite his arm. And and from what we we're able to show is the the bite impression on the arm was matching the bite impressions, you know, on the children's faces as well as uh, well as there was some like from fish in the water, you know, doing that. So what they ended up doing is, is uh, uh, I went before a presentation at a law school down there with this this team, and they ended up releasing them. Uh, on an, an Alford uh, plea, the, the Alford plea, which is kind of weird. Usually, you do that in the beginning of a, of a case. Uh, now they're saying, "Okay, you know, you know, we didn't do it, but you have evidence to show we can do it." So, to this day, they are convicted child killers. But they had me. We got these kids released. They, one was on death row. They're in their late thirties, deteriorating, uh, and they went after one of the kids had a seventy-two IQ. And, and you could have told that kid he, there was there was cheese on the moon. He would have believed you. And they manipulated him, and with no no uh, video going on, no audio going on, or, or or when they did turn on, they turned on after they got all the information that they fed the kid. Now they turn the tape recorder, the tape recorder on. So they ended up. Uh, we got them released. Wow, a real emotional uh, day. And they, but then they said, John, we want you to communicate with the attorney the ag you know honest he just got newly appointed and why me so why you you've done you know with prosecutors you've done with the, the defense and uh we happen to be at the sundance festival for that show uh west of, of memphis and with all the attorneys so they said you're gonna get a call i'd probably be angry with you tomorrow when you get that call why i said because he doesn't, he doesn't look good we didn't we didn't make him look good in in west of memphis so I'm ready to spar with this guy. I'm ready, to, you know, ready to bob and weave. So he calls yeah. calls me up and hello, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And he starts with the case. And he said, I don't know. He said, I don't know about this case. It's just, uh, he says, uh, yeah, what do they want? I, I mean, I said, well, you, you, you don't know anything about the case. I know a lot about the case. Mm -hmm. These three kids had nothing to do with it. The crime scene tells you just alone, it's so sophisticated that when the kids were put in the bayou and stuffed down in the bottom of the water, that the killer, it's called the onsub, got a stick and, and used the stick to, to stick the clothing into the into the, mud, the bottom mud, mud yeah. to, to hide it. I mean, that's pretty, you don't find 15, 16, whatever, no, you, you, that. you just do that. And, and so, I, and he says, well, I don't know. He says, well, and I, I, I do know. He says, what do they want? <laughs> I said, they want to be exonerated. He got them down as convicted killers. He said, I don't know. The, the timing isn't very good right now, the timing. And, and I thought he meant the timing because he just let him out of prison. No, <clears throat> I go back home a week, two later, 
time is he's running for political office. Uh, and he's, uh, and he's running for, and that, that's why he's trying to. Surprise. He's trying to get get votes, <laughs> and luckily he got beat. He got his butt beat. Yeah, anyway, but these that's three, can, yeah, that's right. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. yeah. So, so you got one kid with a seventy-two IQ. Obviously, it, it, it might be a little easy to have some sympathy for him. But you ever sat, sat across from one of these guys, someone who's done abs something absolutely horrific, um, oh, yeah. start to dig into their past and look at how they grow up? And feel sympathy for them? Great question. I was thinking no. the same thing. Right? No. no, no, oh no, no, well, no. Like, no, well this, the one, not sympathy, but Ed Kemper. You know, yeah, you may heard talk okay, about Ed sure. Kemper. Yeah. yeah, he's. I think he's. Yeah, he's on this couple of shows I've done recently. Yeah, Ed Kemper, yeah. big guy, six foot nine, three hundred uh, pounds. He was big all through through school, but actually, was kind of he's a bully. He ends up morphing into a co-ed killer in Santa Cruz, California, who back in the 70s was the murder capital per capita in the United States. Because you had him, you had another guy named Herbert Mullins, a serial killer. You know, one more, I can't remember his name. Herbert, yeah, Herbert Mullins. Well, there's one other one. This guy, at age 15, his mother hated him. He locked him in the basement when he was eight years of age. And, and you bum, you're nothing, you look like your old man. And he kept her, she kept him down there to keep away from the two sisters. He was, she was afraid. She, that they, they were going to be sexually assaulted. But the mother was a nut job. It was, it was really abusive. So he started taking out displaced anger on animals. He started killing animals, decapitating them, or burying some of them alive. And then while he's in the basement, he got his sister's dolls, and he started tearing the heads off the, uh, the dolls, the arms, the legs off the, the dolls. And this would be something he would be doing later on in real life. So anyway, that's not enough. At age, he goes to his father his, his mother hates him because he looks like the old man and he goes up to montana his father doesn't want anything with him but he ends up going to his father's grandparents and while there he ends up uh, killing his his grandmother and his grandfather and shoots him uh, in the head he gets five years at, at a tascadero mental hospital and now he's going to get out he's going to get out about 21 years of age and what do they do with him they send him back to the, the mother the in Santa Cruz. And the mother is just harping on him, you bum, you nothing, you will never amount to anything. And she works at the university in Santa Cruz. And she says, you'll never get these girls. They're too good for you. They're too pretty, uh, pretty for you. You know, just forget about it. Well, he's going to show her. He's going to show her he can get these girls. And so what he does, it was just, it was, I learned so much from him. He had 140 about 145 IQ. I told my partner at the time, that's that's the equivalent of our both of our IQ. But this guy here said 145. It's pretty good. It's pretty good IQ. So he uh, goes back to the into the mother's uh, house, starts fantasizing there, and then he starts cruising. The days in hitchhiking was really big, you know, really oh, yeah. high risk yeah. stuff, man, uh, to get yourself killed and cruising along. And he would go on just on just practice missions and just to see, to get him in the Canvas. car, you know, how, where is he going to go, how, the reaction to him. And then finally, he's getting enough of his mother. His mother's harping on him, you bum, you drunk and everything else. So when he, at nighttime, he'll go up to her bed when she's sleeping with a hammer, like he wants to crush her head with a hammer. So he, he starts going out. And I said, I said, Ed, how in the hell did you get these uh, these uh, women in the car, man? You, you're so big, you, you know. I'm six two. He, he towered over over me. And and he, and he said, well, I said, this is what I decided to do. I, I said, I had a sedan, 1972 sedan Ford, two two door. I can sometimes get two of them in there, and once I get one in the back, they're stuck. What I did was was a press press grip 
grip uh, handle on that 72. And what I did, I, I would put a chapstick uh, behind there or a lipstick. So not initially, but when I get in, I reach over like I'm helping, making sure the door is locked. And I, I would drop that in there. So now they're locked in there. Now, well, how about before you got him in there? He says, how are you going to get him in? You fill up the whole whole side of the car. And he says, well, I simply found out what I could do is when I pulled over and they're looking in and they're intimidated, I would look at my watch and and make the, you know, it's like nonverbals to tell them that I'm on a time limit here. I got someplace to go, you know, I got <laughs> I said, all right, I'll, I'll get you. Yeah, come on in. And that really diffused everything. It was just interesting, you know, how, you know, how he was able, you know, you know to manipulate so methodical. Yes, I was able to do it. Methodical. So methodical. Yeah, oh, very, very. Uh, That's amazing for someone of such you know, an imposing stature. And he was, but he was, when I did the interview, I mean, when he came in, it was like, I mean, he'd have to duck under that doorway. Yeah, six nine six. The door's probably like six 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 nine. So you're, so you're sitting there and you look, you're right, and, you look, and also, holy man, yeah. look at this guy. The way oh, the show port yeah. portrayed him was yeah. amazing. Oh, you know, he'll oh, put he, his hands around the guy's neck, and, you know, yeah. your character's neck. Oh, the other thing you, you should know, and, and your your viewers, you know, should know when you when you're trying to compare to Mindhunter, you know, Made mistakes, made mistakes in, in, in the beginning, only on from the standpoint of a recorder. If you know how Mindhunter starts off with this big box recorder, yeah, yeah. we didn't have that. Yeah. We had a little teeny one, and I only used it once, and I used it with uh, Kemper. Because you go in there, they're, they're extremely paranoid yeah. to begin with. Who's going to listen to them? Who, who are you showing, uh, you could be yeah. showing this to, listening to this here, plus... It's survival in these prisons. You can't be perceived as a snitch in going back to, and you can't trust the guards. That, that and I, I don't blame them. It's survival for them. You, you, you don't want to be the, the badass guy. If something happens, they're going to be right right after right after you. So with that tape recorder, I finally did away with, with the tape recorder, and in fact, I even did away with notes, note taking. And that's why, like in the show The Mind Hunter, you know, holding forwarders, taking notes like that. No, you have to go in knowing the case 110% better than they know the case. Just, you know, speak about that. And I can't tell you how many times it, it came back that I interviewed this, this guy, talked to me, uh, and he knew more about the case than anyone. All the shrinks I've been speaking to for years, because you have to maintain that eye contact. Yeah. Now, if you interview like assassin personalities, they are extremely paranoid uh, individuals. They don't trust their eyes are going back and forth, back and forth. And so with them, I found out just simple things because I was a hostage negotiator too. Is that if I got them in a if I got them in a room, I want them to be, have the ability to psychologically escape from me. So either they psychologically escape, they see a window, they can get away from me, like mentally, yeah. or a door uh, to get away. And I, I don't want to block that door. And and you can't really. You don't want to keep like staring hard at them because it gets them, you know, on, uh, you know, uneasy. So th that was a different type of, uh, you know, a type of approach uh, that I use. But Kemper was really, we learned, we learned a lot. So he's the one going back. It's a shame. I mean, he deserves to be where he is, but had he had a different upbringing, right. he never would have ended up like that. The guy never would have. He's just, he was just battened down and just totally defeated. And so the final finale is he ends up killing his mother with that hammer, decapitates her and uh, throws darts at her head and uh, on I'll a mantle, I'll show you. takes off to go to Pueblo, Colorado, thinking that's going to be a huge manhunt uh, uh, for him. And nothing is on the radio. He calls the police and saying, um, Kemper, because he, Hmm. typically nothing these killers do hung out at a police bar 
he hung out to, to, to be with the cops, yeah. overhear what's going on, yeah. and you know, yeah. investigate. Get investig- See what leads were going to. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they do. Yeah, they do that. But they didn't believe him when he was admitting to this until he called back a second time. And then they believed him. They called Boulder. He was in Boulder uh, at that time in a phone booth. And they called out the Boulder uh, police department. There's one detective or whatever major sound patrol. He sees him in, in, the, in the booth. Kemper comes out. He's so big. Put your hands up. His hands go up over <laughs> on, 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 top, on top of the... Like a polar bear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your hands behind your Yeah, yeah, That's out of control. So basically, when you, what I just got from you is that when you, you had a strategy going in talking to these individuals, you went in and said, okay, if I position them certain ways, like yeah. away from a window or things they can't be... What's the word I'm looking for? They can't be distracted. Yeah. So they have to concentrate on you and you get a better yeah. feed on it. I mean... I guess that's across the board for anything. Sure. You, yeah. But I, I think too with the cops. You yeah. Know, and I'm not saying yeah. this is being being bad, but I have a feeling that sometimes they go overboard. Yeah. When they're talking to somebody, yeah. they think that is a suspect, and yeah. later on they find out, hey, I'm wrong. Yeah. And have you found that? Oh yeah. I was asked to do some show, and I was with another another agent, and the tactics he was advising the police the police to use. You could have got a false confession out of this guy. You're going to break this guy. And, and, and you know, it's easy to get a false confession out of an innocent person than it is a guilty person. Because the innocent person, I was involved in Amanda Knox uh, as well. You know, they think, okay, this is, well, I'll go away. I'll, I'll tell my attorney and this will be all straightened out. So, okay, I'll go along with this. No, it's too late because you've already, you've already signed a, con- a statement here, a confession here. Yeah. In some way, you implicated your, Self, yourself. Yeah. yeah, so it's easy with so- for somebody who doesn't know or you're a teenager who gets pulled over and a cop and you want yeah. and interrogate. Like bullets and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's wrong with you. You did nothing wrong. Right. But you did your license registration. I I know it's here somewhere. Let me, right. let me. Yeah. And then you look more guilty. Yeah. 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 You look, exactly. You're sweating. Yeah. I think it's a problem today because you, all your criminals, obviously, they, they put out a persona. There's something about them that makes them a criminal. Yeah. Easy. But those that get falsely convicted, I think what you just said is they're doing it because they want to get out of the room. Hey, what do you yeah. want to sign? I'm tired yeah. of 12 hours getting yeah. you know, interrogated. What do I need to do? Yeah. It's just like yeah. downrange. Right. Yeah. We take somebody in, you know, people don't understand. We have interpreters when we do our investigation, but obviously we didn't have an expert yeah. doing a profile. Yeah. But we had we had to be careful what we did and how we did it. Sure. And usually nine times out of ten, the guy we had was not the guy we're looking yeah. for. You know, like, you know, at the end uh, of the day, is do we you didn't have that part. We were learning from certain things to make our interrogation plausible. Because you had field investigation and then you had I forget the other name, it was behind. We mm-hmm. weren't allowed to do field investigation. Tactical yeah. questioning. Tactical, tactical yeah. questioning. Yeah. That's what tactical questioning. Yeah. You weren't allowed to do that. Yeah. As we didn't do non, interrogations. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a non-person. Yeah. It's interrogation because it's yeah. the world. But I mean, it's nine times out of ten we found the guy we we found or grabbed was not the guy we we're looking for. Yes. The guy we were looking for was a guy that was obscure sitting over there by something laughing at us. Yeah. yeah. Like who you talk? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got to be the same thing. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, at, at the police bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I've been on cases where the, the police have a, a tremendous suspect. But basically, after you do the assessment of the suspect, you say, yeah, this is a bad guy. But this bad guy wouldn't have perpetrated this crime this particular way. So when you, when you go out on a case, you... You reinforce the investigation or you, t- you refocus uh, sure. the investigation. But in the early days, let me tell you, the early, I mean, it's in the early days. Uh, uh, when I go before these forces, okay, now I came back to Quantico, 31, youngest agent 
at Quantico, at FBI headquarters, one of the very, uh, you know, very, very young, just before my 32nd birthday, with seven years of field experience and, a, and, this, and with the SWAT and with the hostage and uh, bank robbery coordinator. And has, then I had three advanced degrees by then, not the fourth yet. Uh, and so I was- I was, Only three. <laughs> but I, I only had three. So I had a good, so, but now I'm in these classes, man. I'm in these classes auditing the old guys and they're talking about, they're talking about cases and hands pop up and say, hey, Mr. So-and-so, you got your facts wrong here. No, yeah, I worked the case. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not a black, uh, a black uh, female there. You're looking at, what do you mean? The body's decomposed. It's a white woman. The body's so you're auditing the class because you got to be one day in front of that and, and teaching these gray hair guys like me now and teaching all these these old guys. So when I saw that, I said, "Holy crap!" And so what what can I do to accelerate my my learning? Just to be a good instructor initially. And we had road schools like in the Mind Hunter show. You go out like two weeks at a time. You know, you go to LAPD and then you maybe go up to Boise, Idaho or something. And you have a lot of downtime in between. So let's let's go into these prisons. Let's see. We got the credentials. Let's go see. We only have to say why we're there. We just want to talk to who, you know, who, you know, ever. And and so did that. And that's why uh, Kemper, you know, he was you know, he was really the first one. So it's, so you come back, you start doing a couple of interviews. Now you have this class criminal psychology. It's becoming very popular at the FBI Academy because I'm more I'm changing it to, into into criminal profiling, but the cops are coming back with cases from their hometown, and uh, they're giving you these cases. And how how am I going to keep all these cases? I got all these teaching assignments, and so uh, it started off like the first year was like 50, 50 cases. The first fifty cases we got. And then it just started, started, uh, you know, doubling, doubling and doubling, and then started to get some very nationally recognized cases. Robert Hansen, besides the B, not BTK, I was involved, but he wasn't caught yet. Uh, Robert Hansen, Alaska, who's hunting women down like wild animals uh, mm -hmm. up in Alaska. The Buffalo's 22 caliber killer. I was over on the Yorkshire Ripper case, the Atlanta child killings, the Unabomber, the Tylenol you know, a murder case, all these, these different, different things. And, and uh, it is just overwhelming. It's getting to a point in my life where it's starting to get damaged to, to my, to my health. And cause I'm, I'm young, I'm dreaming about this stuff. I'm also as like a negotiator, I get calls at nighttime. You start to develop, you don't want to do this, but you start developing isolation and affect to protect yourself. And, and but I felt that I, I really shouldn't have that. Cause I got, I, I try to have to walk and experience what the victims are going through and the subject is the interaction you know with the subject so i leave you go to work when it's dark you come home when it's dark and then i would take the long way home and then uh just decompress and get home i go to a room have a few beers some decom decompress yeah, that's decompress yeah. decompress uh, you know so, you know some more but it's reaching a point where where i I, I, it was January 1983. In January, I'm up in the boardroom, a drinking room, and with assistant directors there. Good guy. This one was very supportive of me, Jim McKenzie. And I said, Jim, man, I, said, I can't keep up this pace. I said, What do you mean? I said, I got so much. I can't. And you may give me bodies, but I, it's going to take two years to train these bodies. He said, But you know, John, the Bureau, you pretty much got to drop uh, before you, you get anything. Well, that was January. In, in October, I'm training up in New York City to, to a couple hundred cops uh, up in uh, New York. And during my presentation, I'm starting to get overwhelmed. I, I, I'm thinking of, 
of all this stuff I have to do yet that I've just done. I got more I have to do. I don't know if you've ever had an anxiety attack, but okay. I, holy, <laughs> yeah. holy crap. You're I, in good company here. Yeah, I, thought, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're having a heart attack. Oh, my I God. You're in the hospital. They're like, oh, yeah. I thought, just breathe. I yeah. thought yeah. I was having a heart attack. You're saying I like the panic? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it, it's frightening. Like, what the hell is happening to me? Yeah. And you can't call it free floating. These, sometimes you because you know where it's from, what's causing all this craziness. You're human now, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. You're, you're a human being <laughs> who's got a skill set. That they overwork. That's what the government. Yeah. So my, out loud. That's what the federal government does. If you're good at what you do, they are going to take you and run you into the ground. Yeah. Because one of my questions was, going through all this, you had to have some kind of sit in a dark room by yourself to kind of yeah. oh decompress and get rid of Because I'm still. Oh, no. You know, the, the I'm going to say the PTSD, yeah. the mind piece, it's got to kill you. That's what a doctor, when I, when I finally dropped the doctor, I, I came real close to dying yeah. in 1983. I was only 38 years of age. And after that New York City presentation, I go back and I take out extra life insurance, income protection insurance, because I know something's going to happen to me. Mm. And, then, and then the day I leave to go out there, it's like November 30th or something. I, I, I tell my wife goodbye once at home, and then I go by the school where she's uh, teaching to say goodbye again. Why are you doing that? You don't look well. You know, I got a headache. I just, but I have to take these two agents they assigned me to train them. So I go out before the the King County Task Force. Uh, that was the Green River murder case. And I go, I go, I, I go out, do go for the task force. I come back that night to the two guys, and and I and I say, look, I, I think I'm getting the flu. I don't feel really great. It's Tuesday now. I'll see you Friday. Come get me. We'll head back to D.C. And so that night, I collapsed on my hotel room floor. But before I collapsed, I put a do not disturb sign on the on the, the door. Today, they'd probably kick it down, but that, then they wouldn't do it. So not only did housekeeping didn't disturb me, the agents didn't disturb me. And when they found me on Friday, they kicked down the door. They, they described me in a, a frog-like position. And, and my whole body, every periodic would just start trembling and shaking. When the the medical crews came in there, my body temperature was 104 to 107, and my right temporal lobe had split, and I was in a coma, and my eyes were doll-like. And this is, this is a really kind of frightening story. They take me to the, the hospital. I just remember it was really bright, bright, bright light. light. It was probably the light. It's not like the tunnel light. That's probably the light being in the, the emergency room. Sort of they have a pop of the ceiling, maybe? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, so, so what happened was is that... Uh, uh, I get tremendous pain. They're putting uh, a catheter in me. I didn't know it was a catheter. They're, they're putting needles in my leg veins because my other veins are collapsing. I think I'm being tortured. I'm, my, they describe me as my eyes doll-like, meaning that they're not moving. The pupils aren't, aren't dilated. And then when they began to put a life support system on me, I didn't know it was a life support. No one's saying anything. It was just quiet. I think someone's trying to murder me now. trying to choke me to death. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a voice comes from one of these nurses and says, John, you're very, very sick. Uh, you're here at Swedish Hospital in, in uh, Seattle, Washington. We're going to make you well. There's no indication why she should have said that. But by hearing that voice, so, you know, it just it just relaxed me. And I went <clears throat> deep in the coma for a week. And when I came out of it, I was paralyzed. And, and uh, paralyzed like my hair. Everything was like... Dripped down, yeah. yeah, and then I, I got complications of blood clots, uh, and then how are they going to treat that because he's got bleeding in, in his head? And it was one of the most you know frightening experiences. And, and uh, when I got back home, 
a month later, I lost. I was like 195. I came back at 160 or something. Oh, so that was a waste. And and I couldn't even watch a Lassie movie without getting emotional. I mean, I just any just any little thing. I, I saw that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a reset. I, I was, yeah. yeah, I've literally watched like life insurance commercials and at the end of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, what, what's the matter with this? Oh yeah. Having a moment. That's <laughs> I just gave. I just gave any sporting event. I'm I just gave the Tunnel to Towers uh, oh, last night. Yeah. I can't be watching without giving money. I mean, yeah. gosh, with all these guys, <laughs> God, what they've uh, yeah. you know gone through. So, but I was so angry at the organization that, that I, I got a lot of the material that I had uh, at the house and I burned it like catharsis. I, I, just, I just I was just burning it, and then they were going to give me a medical uh, disability for 38, and they really didn't want the disability. At, at all so i was out of work five months had to learn how to walk and everything wow. and i was always working out so it was it helped me on the rehab uh, because I, by, by being uh, involved in exercise over the years and so when i got back to work uh the cases were there and they gave me the bodies but man i had a i had so many cases hundreds of cases when i left the bureau we were doing a thousand cases a thousand cases you know a year so you so really it's hazardous it's actually yeah, so. and a lot of these young kids today when i do this public speaking they see, watch this television they think it's you know fun and joy and and it's and i i talk to a group every year i got another five of them this summer I'll be talking to calling the vision kids from all over the country and i, I tell them this job is hazardous to, to your health you don't understand yeah. and and how it inter is you when you interact with victims and with with the offenders and just the nature of the work uh the the volume of, of the work it spills over in, into your uh in, in, into your personal, personal life. life and it's not like a the stuff like on criminal minds is it's it's baloney mm -hmm. we're not going out there knocking down doors we're not taking cases for away from you know police it's their investigation you are you're, you're you are a tool in the toolbox of, a, of an investigator and you can use as much or as little as he as he wants from the investigator maybe the prosecutor later on and helping during the case search warrants you know perhaps but but if but you're not you know they got these guys pulling their guns chasing down people and they're all like young they're like in their 20s you know yeah it's yeah no it's how is how is that not it for you? I mean, how do you how do you come out of a I know it's not experience like I know. that? You almost died. Oh, it caused problems. Yeah, it caused problems in uh, marriage, the, uh, the marriage for sure. I end up sure what a glutton for punishment I am. I ended up getting divorced from my wife, and then later on I got remarried <laughs> to my wife. Oh my I, I need a good shrink. My yeah. father-in-law yeah. yeah. did really? marriage. Like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. nine years. Yeah. Nice. And then end up marrying her back. I'm like, why would you do something like that? That doesn't yeah. make no sense. Well, it was hard. It was my fault. I mean, I'm so. I, when I was 27, we got married. She was 22, so I'm doing all this stuff, and she's, uh, you know, she's five years younger. And then we come back from, and then we're in Milwaukee, and we have one daughter then, and then she's a school teacher. And you know, my wife's still teaching school today. 51 years, wow. she's teaching today over in the Fredericksburg wow. school wow. system. You got to bring her in here. She, 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 yeah, we should. I made her. I made her. <laughs> How was your outlet? Did you have someone to talk to? You know, like a group of guys? Yes, in the unit. Yeah, down. that's where we go up to the boardroom, the group. It's have a few cocktails and tell Yeah, because, <laughs> well, it's just like we talk about current cases, but we'd like go to lunch and it'd be, you know, say five or six of us are there at lunch. And maybe like the law guys will come and want to join us. As soon as they hear what we're talking about, you know, the disgusting, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking about crime, blood, yeah. the yeah. guts, you know, they leave, they, they, oh, they, okay. would, they would, you know, leave us. <laughs> right, we'll catch up with you guys later. Yeah. But the program, 
<laughs> pizza, Raw. please, extra sauce. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. The problem I had is because the because uh, I was in a train division. Now I'm developing an operational arm. Within initially it was the Babel Science Unit, and, and splintering off, you know, from that creating this program. And so then you get the heads at headquarters. Uh, you know, what the hell are you doing down here, that unit or program? It should be up here in the criminal investigative division. And then I'd get calls, particularly when I started getting pretty good at this, uh, from an agent charge, say, in uh, Miami. Hey, John, we just had a kidnapping case here. I'm going to be given a press release. What do you think, uh, you know, I should say? What kind of comments should I say or not say during this press, uh, you know, release? So you give me ideas. Next thing you know, I get a call from headquarters. He says, are you talking to the agent in charge of the Miami <laughs> office? Yeah. Who in the hell do you think you are uh, telling him what to do? He's asking me. He's asking <laughs> me for suggestion. Will you tell that SEC he has to go through uh, headquarters, the criminal investigator? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the, the agent calls him. Right, right, I'll go so right I, away. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, so I tell him. I, I tell him, and they said, eh, them. he said, all I'm going to do is dot your eyes, cross your teeth, because they're, yeah. they're doing all the administrative stuff. You're yeah. not the operational sure. stuff on the, you know, you know, on the ground. So that was a, a problem, you know, th throughout. I, I was just, I, I wasn't looking for attention, but when you start having success, and you're, and not me, the people in your unit, and, and, and actually by getting sick, it made me a good leader, a better leader, because I could appreciate, I could see signs. With with my my fellows and, and I, I would say yeah and I, I say hey go home and I, I said go home because the bureau is so strict you got to sign in sign in. go home I'll, I'll take care of it and you see them coming out they're walking out with the cases no the, leave the cases <laughs> just go home and, and we'll take uh, we'll, and I'll I'll take care of you you know so they would say I, I was like running a loose ship. But, I, but you know, look what we're dealing with, uh, you know, here with these. Uh, I had so many agents got, got sick. and In fact, I'm one of the last of the dinosaurs now, really. I mean, hmm. one of the last guys died two weeks two weeks ago. They pretty much have, uh, you know, have died off uh, for various reasons. Plus, we were in the worst damn space. We were, we, were, we were located at Bunker, uh, um, which was a relocation site in case of some attack at Quantico. So, hmm. But then they found out it was no longer safe, so they stuck us down. So it was 60 feet deep. So we used to say we were 10 times deeper than dead people, <laughs> 60, feet, 60 feet underground. You know, here. And so I'd be down there just trying to. Yeah, you know, try to keep the morale going, change the paint once in a while, you know, like, <laughs> different, something, do something, yeah. you know, and uh, mm -hmm. because the, the people were just, and it was, it was really tough too, because you're, you're picking some really good people and it's like trying to manage the Yankees, you know, you know they're all, you know, stars, stars yeah. star, and then they get jealous, you get, you get jealous, yeah. John, and I have the best profile you got here in this, uh, this section here, and I said, that. Tom, I said, you're good, man. I said, but you got a lot of other good people. There's some very, very good people here. But, but you know, or Tom, I said, why don't you go have a coffee with these guys? You're on the stand. Yeah, he said, I don't drink coffee. You drink water? Go up and, and drink water with, with, with them. Just mix and talk. You know, talk to you know to them. Or then you have a guy in your unit too who goes behind your back and we, is dealing directly right. with the director of the bureau, Posture. the director of, of, of the FBI. And then I almost got my butt in the ringer because late at night I'm down in that unit. And that agent, this one agent particularly says, John, you're going to be a, a call, I think, from Louis Free. He's the United States attorney 
he would later become a director. He's a United States attorney. He's prosecuting his bombing case out of Atlanta where these judges were killed. But now it's being prosecuted in Minneapolis. He's going to be calling you. Oh, really? Why? Oh, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> he knows damn well why. <laughs> so I get a call. I get a call. A maniac. I almost got fired. He, said, he calls. And he said, uh, hello? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's John. Yes, John Douglas. Oh, this is Louis Free. He was the attorney in Minneapolis. Hello, how are you doing? I said, I'd like to uh, get someone uh, out here, you know, to uh, uh, to help me in the case. Well, what do you want? Well, I want someone to sit in the courtroom to tell me how the subject is interacting with with his attorney, with with his attorney. I said, but, yeah, that's it. And, and he said, yeah. I said, oh, so you don't you don't want us to do any assessments of potential jurors? No, no, you don't want us to do any cross-examination strategies that the subject takes a stand. Uh, he says, no, he's not going to be taking a stand. And when I, I said, well, let me tell you something, Mr. Free. Everything you're asking us to do, any FBI agent uh, can, can do that. I suggest you contact the Minneapolis FBI office. Yeah. Then, wow. then all of a sudden, it's late at night, so I'm still down in the hole. My assistant director calls, John, this is Tony Daniels. He said, yeah. he said did you talk to uh, Louis Free? Out in Minneapolis, uh, what did you say? So I told him, he, he was always, this one. I told him to kick stones. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and he was always kind of supportive. Uh, he, uh, he was supportive of me as well, like the you know, other guy, McKinsey. And he says, hey, have you gotten a call yet from the criminal investigative division? And he says, no, well, you're probably getting a call pretty soon from this Larry Potts. From so here it comes. I know sooner put down. <laughs> ring, ring, ring. Uh, hello, John? Yeah, this is Larry Potts. Oh, how you doing, Larry? Did you did you talk to Louis Free, uh, the, the attorney prosecutor? It was a big case at the time, big bombing case. And I said, yeah. Said, what did you tell him? What did you tell him? So I went through all the things I told him about. And I, finishing up, I said, any FBI agent can do what you're asking us to do. Then it was, who in the F do you think you are telling a U.S. attorney how to prosecute his case? And like a nut, you know, because I'm so burned out and tired. I'll tell you who the F I am. Uh, I, I said, know. I've worked these thousands of these cases <laughs> and I know exactly what's going on. But then I realized I'm not going to be that stupid because <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to win. I got to start doing the, the Michael Jackson moonwalk. Oh, yeah. So I'm backing off because I'm going, my ass is going to Butte, Montana after this, <laughs> this thing. And then, so, so anyway, sure enough, we sent, and the guy who told me about the call, he's the one who goes, goes out there, and, and he did all the things we thought with the jury selection. The subject, <laughs> the take, the subject takes oh, yeah. the stand, and then uh, within, the subject oh, takes the stand. Within, within, God, within less than a year, guess who's promoted to director of the FBI? Louis Free. Free. He comes down to, to the unit with a, a U.S. senator out of Utah. Good guy. I can't remember his name. He's a real good, good guy. And because he he wants to really support this U.S. attorney, support the program. And then all of a sudden, he's free. They're sitting on the couch and stand. And all of a sudden, I can see the light go on. Like, this is the asshole. <laughs> this is the guy. This is the one. He's, he's looking at me. He's, he's looking at me as, as, I'm, uh, as I'm laying all this, this stuff out. But we got the support in the program. You know, kept, you, know, you know, kept going. Today, the program has a lot more units five units and they break it up into different sections like child killing, child, some terrorism in there. We did everything. My, my, I used to call them the dirty dozen. We, we, <laughs> we did every, 12 agents, about 30 personnel, support personnel. We did every kind of product, every kind of case. And, and we really had some 
great successes. And I, I think we're better because we, we, once we got there, we stayed there. Today, we got people going through thinking, oh, this, I, I worked once in the silence of the Lambs unit. But we had like, of my 25, 18 was at Quantico and others like Roy Hazelwood, Ken Lanning, Bob Ressler were there in the 16 years. And you get that institutional memory mm. and, and there's no computers, like we were saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it really makes you a very strong unit. The rest of the units at Quantico aren't happy because if, if I need a body and, there's a, and, and the range just lost the body, uh, you know, I could possibly get that body transferred to target staffing level. And that happens sometimes. So you're taking these, take these bodies. So, so not everyone is, you know, blessing you. Uh, you know, you, uh, like when you go by the firearms range, you have to have a bulletproof <laughs> vest on. <laughs> Sean doing here. He's yeah, just yeah, yeah. people. Yeah. Everybody get back inside. Yeah. 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 Look busy. Yeah, look, look, look like you know what you're doing. Yeah. Or you're really stuck in yeah. shooting. So we're out there training. You got anything for uh, John? Is, is it true that you interviewed uh, Jeffrey Dahmer? Dahmer, the only thing I did with Dahmer was I, I uh, coached the uh, the prosecution okay. on how to keep him off the stand because my former colleague was going to testify that he was insane and he had no business doing that. He didn't have the credentials of, of, uh, of uh, providing that kind of testimony. The other thing was, was the, uh, there was a psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Fred Berlin, works over at Johns Hopkins, and he was going to testify uh, that irresistible impulse, that's another defense. What that means when someone says here, it means that the client cannot control himself. That if he sees a woman, uh, the target here, whatever kind of target, can't, can't control, he's gonna go through, go through with that. Based on what though? Yeah. That impulse? Yeah, like an impulse. Yeah. It, it, it's, like a a total, it's a total yeah. bullshit. Because the, the example I will give is, is that I've never seen a case if there was a potential victim on this corner a cop on that corner and the bad guys over here that this guy is just going to go out and, and start raping and attacking, uh, attacking that woman. Right. And so, uh, and, and Jamie mentioned this to, uh, to me yesterday, they ended up bringing me into Columbia, uh, Columbia hospital in Milwaukee after that to be on stage with that Dr. Fred Boleyn. I have a doctorate degree, but it's an education and I never use it. I never, maybe I published once in a while, but I never, never use it. But anyway, all these shrinks are there, psychiatrists, psychologists, they're trying to get us in a debate, you know, like me against this sure. big shot in Johns Hopkins. And it was so bizarre because when they would ask a question regarding the mental state and, and address it to like Dr. Boleyn, Boleyn uh, was deferring to John Douglas, the educational doctor, you know, over here. Uh, to, more, right? And so he, so he wouldn't put up this, uh, this this fight or, you know, or, you know, resistance. And, and what I also knew about him and some others is that they, uh, uh, there were situations where he was been, been treating people in the past only to have the subject uh, in one particular case, and it may have just been in his department, was out in the car waiting a child uh, handcuffed to a, to a, the car, in, inside the car, and was able to release the handbrake and the car smash into another another car. So what I don't like about the mental health profession, and they used to uh, hate it when I go out and speak at their at their conferences, they invite me, but uh, <laughs> is that, is that uh, and if I see the nonverbals, it pisses me off. So you'll go out there, it's one of these. I was I was in New Zealand one time, it's one of these, and I tell this publicist, why did you bring me here? Jesus, people hate me before I got in there. So I address it. If I see it, I, I address it. And I said, what's the problem? And he says, we don't like uh, we don't like the way you refer to us in in, uh, in your books. Uh, you know, what is mm -hmm. that? Do you mean like, like we don't know much? I said, well, you don't know much because if you're relying on self-reporting and your evaluation, 
uh, of this person, meaning that you're you're just asking questions. How do you feel? What do you, you have the urges, you know, to commit whatever the crimes you know are? And and if you don't look at the crime scene photographs, the the police reports, because all that information is a reflection of of the offender. That's your, you can't hide that. That's a reflection of of the offender. Then you don't know who in the hell you're talking to. Give me another one quickly. Interview Richard Speck. I then saw Dan Rather interviewing Thomas Vanda on television. I happened to be at the prison. I'm going to interview this guy, Thomas Vanda. He's a convicted murderer. He's like about 22. They rehabilitate them. Hmm. He goes out. He joins a group, a religious group, Bible study group, waits for everyone to leave. He then ends up multiply stabbing this woman, doing sex things to this woman after death. So I go interview him. Interview him, inappropriate affect, his hands, he's rubbing his hands and everything. And, and uh, yeah, I saw you on television last night. Yeah, what'd you think? Oh, you look really good. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, you know, really, really, yeah, you know, really, really good. So obviously this guy's insane, uh, but he, he belongs right where he is in this prison. I told my partners, we got to go meet this psychiatrist who's dealing with him. So I go up uh, to the door, knock on the door. Uh, uh, John Douglas, partner here, uh, just interviews Thomas Vanda. Oh yeah, Thomas Vanda. He's doing. He's doing really well. He's really responding to the. Ter ter <laughs> I said. I said. Wait a minute. I said. Do you. Do you know what he did? Oh, no, I don't want to know. What do you mean you don't want to know? I'm going to tell you what he did. And I go through the the whole procedure of the the Bible study. After after it was over with, he did things uh, sexually uh, to the and open cut wounds to this uh, to this woman. And he says, "You're disgusting." You're disgusting. Get the hell out of my office. I said, well, I'll get the hell out of your office, but you have no business being in a position, you know, evaluating someone for parole or, or treatment right. uh, you know, at all, because they will not, and I've seen so much of it, they won't look at it. Well, prejudice. Well, what are you going to rely on? I'm going to rely on my experience. Oh, really? A college experience? <laughs> I mean, what is that? I got nothing out of, yeah, out of that. And, these, and by the way, these people lie to you. They're great liars. And, and you can't go by nonverbals all the time. They'll look at your smack dab in the face sometimes you can get to them you mentioned before jamie about some like bad ones i interviewed serial killer his name was lawrence bideker and he teamed up with a guy named norris and they were convicted rapists and he went to san quentin and while in san quentin they're fantasizing that when they get out they're going to rape a teenager for every year of a teenager's life so they get out and they get a van and they insulate. That's the other big thing they would do, insulate the interior of the van so no one can hear the sounds and noises coming from in the van. And then they start cruising. They start cruising and they start grabbing women, you know, every couple of days. They end up getting like six or six or seven of them. What made it horrific, horrific. And I can only let the cops listen to about seconds of this is they made audio tapes of the torturing, uh, the torturing where they were, were uh, using pliers and hammers and the screaming. And what they were trying to do is to, we, we say scripting, they script the, the victim so that the, like, as if the victim is enjoying it to feedback like more and more and more and, and doing this. And, and, and it would make the hair stand up uh, be, uh, behind your head. So I interviewed, when I interviewed him and uh, I didn't interview Norris him, uh, the only time, I, it was interesting, I had a female agent. She would ask a question, he would never look at her, never look at it. He, he, he would, she'd ask, then he would answer me. Hmm. And the only time he got to him was with the mother thing. And he got emotional there. And then, but then you can be fooled, fooled by tears. And I, was, I always tell the people I was training, is that the tears aren't for 
the crime and what they did, the, the, the tears are for themselves, that they have to spend the, less, the, the rest of their life you know, in prison here. And uh, that's who they, they can. They can. They cannot identify if they feel that they have been mistreated, abused their whole life. They, they just become totally desensitized. You know. You know to it. And rehabilitation. My words of wisdom there <laughs> is: uh, you cannot rehabilitate someone who is not habilitated to begin with. So mm. what I'm saying is, is that it's not quite right for various reasons in that early childhood. But but it's going to be very difficult to change that thinking, that process uh, of kids. I mean, my wife will tell me, other teachers, they see these kids now, this anti-authority disrupting yeah. the classroom, the yeah. animal cruelty. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're seeing all that. And then, the, and then the pandemic, what did the pandemic did? It, it, it made these kids, you know, stay at home, mostly one family homes, and a lot of them are living out of, uh, Terrible housing, yeah. hotels, motels, living there where there's abuse going on, there's boyfriends going on, they're witnessing all that. They, they don't know how to work a, a damn, uh, you know, iPad or computer at home. Where are they going to get the, the help from? And it's really set these kids back so so much these past two years that they they are really so, socially uh, like so, like socially retarded. They're socially that, stunted, yeah. stunted. They, they're just so far behind. They don't know how to act. Yeah, you know, these kids, and so we're going to see more. You wonder what that's going to create. Yeah, in the future. Know, yeah, in terms of latent effects, yeah. only to be yeah. visualized later on yeah. and assessed by others. Yeah. Let me ask you this: You ever, uh, you ever get into the profile like for your own entertainment, like start creating <laughs> profiles for either like politicians or you know, people oh, assess, in the news? Well, yeah, well, yes. Like, not <laughs> asking you to get political, but you know, no, there's yeah. plenty of personalities in the news. Oh, you can see. Yeah, you can see. Uh, I just. When they ask questions, they never ask, answer the question. They go the roundabout way. Sure. And, yeah, profiling has been around. They may not have called it profiling, but who knows how many wars you're doing assessments sure. on the enemy's assessment. I mean, yeah. I mean, Joe Biden is so predictable. I mean, it's just, I mean, he's just a, a puppet here. And, 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 and so. That came from John Douglas. <laughs> 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 FBI retired. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah. but I'll, I'll say it. I, 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 my gosh, it's such an opportunity for countries who want to go after, go after us. Uh, because, particularly in the next two years, is going to be their window of opportunity if, uh, if they take control over everything. Because, because, I mean, the man. I'm 77, and this guy. Makes me feel like I'm in my 20s. I mean, he, he, he there's something wrong cognitively. And regarded as a serious figure. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, it's just he's can't. He's, he's not equipped at all. I mean, his no. His intuitive, when he's speaking, sometimes you can see where he, he's talking about a dollar bill, and the next thing out, he's like talking about a five dollar bill. Like, right. where, where'd that come from? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he guesses his story's all messed up. His son yeah. is killed in Iraq. Who's, who's writing for him? Right. Yeah. Was killed well, yeah. Much calls for. I, well, I think. If he stays on, it's just like Kamala, you know, if they stay on script, but they go off, you know. They can't help themselves. They can't speak. They can't handle. Here's my personal opinion. And you, you've been around long enough, so you'd be able to figure it out. I still think there's 12 or 13 gazillionaires in a room like this, drinking two fingers of scotch and smoking cigars, making decisions on what the United oh, States yeah. should be doing. Come on. Yeah. I don't think uh, it has to do, I, I think the president of the United States, whoever it is, is a figurehead. That's all they are. Yeah. They don't control Jack. And you have people that's in the Congress and Senate that's making solicitations and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you got yeah. this guy who's the president trying to relay it. It's not relaying the problem. No, and That's no. my personal opinion. 
Yeah, who's the guy who uh, funding all these politicians? You know, the Zoro oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like him. He has too much money in their brains. Yeah. That's, that's got, if you got that much money, and I, I'll, I'll get off politics, I hate it. Yeah. Take that I'm money saying. you're pushing out there and put it into the United States and get rid of the hunger, get rid of the homeless. Yes. Take all these hotels that have been pushed down and shut down for the for the pandemic. Reopen them up and make it a homeless place. People yeah. can go there and actually have yeah. do treatment there, especially for vets. Yeah. You take a hotel or two, open up for homeless vets. Yes. Bring your DD-214 or I can look it up yeah. online and we'll bring you in. Use that money for that. But no, you're using it for stupid crap. Just going overseas, paying for people. Yeah. They're hungry overseas. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm feeding yeah. myself and... I yeah. take the opportunity to make sure other people are fed here in the United States. This morning, they showed the tents of the uh, in New York City. The, the yeah. immigrants coming in, they have Xboxes and coffee yeah. time. <laughs> and, and the homeless don't have that. Right. Yeah. Or the veterans. Yeah, even, the even veterans. Got, that's what I'm saying. You got prisoners, people you threw in the jail who have better accommodations, three meals, yeah. a hot, a, a cot, than people and a who place serve. to live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And people who served in the military. Yeah. You're doing what? We want to make more rules and let these guys get away with more in prison? Bullshit. Yeah. Put them outside in the yard. Make them hard labor. If you're in jail for a crime that's, a crime, you know, bad yeah. crime, you should be put into the fields like they do in Texas. Yes. You know, yep. other places out there. Go out and work. You want to grow your, you want to eat? Grow your food. You know, take yeah. it out. But I, I just, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about it. I just hate the fact that we allow people in the United States to control how we think as individuals. Yeah. And I hate that shit. It gets under my, and that's why I get very... I don't talk about it's creeping in more and more too <laughs> that <laughs> european central i know Stu, you're gonna get mad i'm gonna ask for the sake of well-roundedness you talked a little bit about you know your assessment of biden what what yeah. about the other end of the aisle uh what do you think about trump and and you yeah, know, trump, kind of personality? i know trump you know in new york man mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I, you know that's just a style man. That's, that's a style. That's, thing. that's what we need. I, I would let's say laugh because I know that's New Yorker. It's like we have these New Yorkers come back to the FBI National Academy for eleven weeks. Yeah. It's like they go through a, a school for comedy before they they <laughs> arrive. <laughs> uh, these guys, they're just hilarious. They're hilarious. They're yeah. different. He's, he's rough around the edges, sure. obviously. You know the way the way he comes, uh, you know, across. That's it. This is him, though. It's first. Now. Yeah. He here's the thing: the country was he's not a politician by no means. He's a businessman, very successful at that. And that's what, at the end of the day, I think what he brought to the table. If you get a state off of social media, yes. Trump will be <laughs> Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. Person, yeah. Twitter I, yeah. You're right. Away from the Twitter and you know, the Instagram yeah. shit. He's yeah. still be president. We'll You've got a master class coming out, don't you? Yeah, the master class just uh, came out. Well, today, this could be on tape anyway, but ah, it's October. October 20th, and I knew, I really didn't know much about it. I, I'm a one-dimensional guy, I don't have much of a life. And, and so they called me, and they wanted me to do, they call classes on there, and they have like 180 different people, but it's, it's like, um, uh, you know, a, a, a musician, you have to be learned to play that mus musician's instrument or sing like Mariah Carey, something. But it's how the planning, what goes into it. But they have everything from top poker players to scientists on there, uh, you know, from different different writers. So mine, what they wanted me to do is to apply, and I did this over the summer, apply what I've learned from my work and, and can you make it applicable to everyday life type of situations? Yeah, you may not met it, meet a someone who's going to draw you into a cult like a, a manson type of thing but but you may see people who are going to who who very this narcissistic uh who who um 
I, I, I did a radio show one time in LA and had a woman call in and how she met this guy who was like a, a knight in shiny armor and the bar came up. He was a great listener. He listened to everything I said. Was, and the next thing you know, we're moving in together. But then what happened, he started controlling every aspect of, of my life, cut off my, uh, 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 my uh, family. Uh, I could not contact my family. He would uh, go to the odometer in my car to see how many miles I, I was working, oh controlled uh, you know, my it's income. Yeah, be became okay. abusive. <laughs> became abusive. Yeah, became abusive, and then, but then he would like, you know, maybe hit her. The next thing you know, he would show up with candy or flowers. So th yeah. then she starts feeling maybe it's me. Maybe there's something you know wrong with me. But that's how these these people have have they they target these predatory types. And and when someone's maybe like, for example, just so. You always have to be asking questions, like you guys. Question, question, question. Yes, because like someone asks you to do something, like, why? I mean, what? Think what? What's what's really his motive or her motive? You know, what's the purpose here? Is he just nice? Wants to take me out to lunch, or is there something? Is there something you know going going on here? What do I have that this person may want from me? Is it my position and my job? Is it is it uh, money uh, that I have? Is it maybe sex or you know, you know really you know really you know what is that? And so that and they, they don't put themselves in, into a position a victim of uh, you know of opportunity or a victim where where they can't get out of a situation uh, because it, it, it's too late. So you can apply you know apply a lot of that and deception. You know what that's like. Like I give an example like John Gacy. You know, he, when he got caught, he confessed to his attorneys. He confessed to the police. He drew a schematic drawing of where all the bodies were in, in the crawl space of his house. And now it gets close to execution time. And we got him beamed in and back at Quantico by satellite to 350 cops and agents. And, and, and now he's doing, you know, he's backing off, like denying that he, he did any, any of this, uh, any of this stuff. He's got an answer, got an answer for everything. You know, or, or, you know, excusing himself, and and uh, it's all it's all part of the, the you know, the deception, lying. You know, so it's it's uh, it's interesting. But when you do the interviews, you got to really sound like you're really very much interested, and in, and you're believing. Although, if you say something crazy, like when David Burke was said it was a three thousand year old dog, I got his commands. Hey, David, who are you bullshit? <laughs> Come on, what's that three thousand year year old dog at all? Oh, another thing too, I don't know if I should say it your show. It's probably X-rated. This still have to have a warning on your show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I uh, think we have a warning. Yeah, yeah. But, but when I when I interviewed Burke, it was you know he set twenty five hundred uh, fires in, in New York in New York City. And uh, and then they go back, they relive it, they fantasize, they masturbate and everything. So we bring him in uh, for the interview. We have blue, blue eyes. And I have to lay out this stuff to get him talking. I say, uh, John Douglas, this is the research, what we're doing. You know, there's a guy right now in Wichita, Kansas, known as the BTK Strangler. And he's emulating you. He just wants to, to, you know, to be like you. And you know something, uh, David, uh, 100 years from now, and I whip out the <laughs> New York Post, I said, no one's uh, going to know John Douglas, but everyone's going to know you, David Burke. Was terror, or no, no, his son of Sam terrorizes Santa. New York, New York City's eyes were going were back and forth. So I really opened it up, and so part of the questions, and we had a fifty-seven page questionnaire with thousands of questions. We had to fill out as much as we could before the interview. The rest we do back at the hotel having a beer after after the interview. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so so we so we got to the point of mast masturbation and. and uh, because he would go to the fires, and, 
And he says, what about, you know, what about that? You said, with the masturbation, you still fantasize? And, and he says, oh, yeah, I still, the chronic masturbator. And this was right right after we shook hands with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so I, a guard, is there, you have any, any towels? We have, you have any, bring any towels in here for us, please? He's probably yeah. all the sanitary stuff yeah. that we have. Yeah. 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 No. It's kind of like, I'm not even with these guys for the next week. Uh, so, <laughs> out of control. Uh, well, this kind of leads us to, towards the end, John. I mean, sure. we've had a great hour and a half. Uh, you guys uh, are great. fascinating. Yeah. Great. You guys got anything else that uh, you want to ask John? No, it's yeah. been a pleasure. And for oh, me, I enjoy personally, it. I've learned so much in just this hour sitting here talking with you. Oh, thank so you. I'm hoping me too. people at the, the Smoke Pit understand that there, you have books out there. Go pick one up and go read about yeah. it, you know, and yeah. watch Mindhunter. Uh, check this man yeah. out. Check out in the master person. class. Yeah, master class. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a cat's meow, whatever they, you know, I, I'll say. So without that, and also, too, I must confess to law enforcement, I was not digging you. I love you to death. I think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread because you protect us on a daily basis. So yeah. I apologize for the comment I met earlier, but again, there's still 10%, you guys know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So with that said, again, this is a smoke pit. We're joined with John Douglas, the profiler, that's the profiler, uh, Jamie, and we have uh, Juan here. So with that conclusion, thank you. Come, come back again and check us out for our next podcast. I'm Stu, the host, your great beer veteran. Have a great day. Peace out. <laughs>